Good morning. I see many smiles. It's a lovely thing. It's a lovely thing to be together. And uh, thank you, Elaine, for reading scripture for us. And of course, thank you, Carol, for making those announcements and uh, praying and leading us in prayer. Uh, so, you know, people say that ignorance is bliss. Don't you think? Do you agree? You know, people also say, what you don't know won't hurt you. And that's how I sometimes feel about this part of Revelation. You know, okay, let me get this. So, people who know me well, and some of you do know me quite well, you know I love my coffee. You, lo you know I love my wine. You know I love my steak and chicken wings. And, and some of you, I mean, they're not here. So Ivan and Tina, they have seen me in action with those chicken wings, especially the all-you-can-eat ones. And even they were impressed. So a passage like this, it makes me reflect on how the world works, why it works the way it does, and what God has to say about it. And believe it or not, it makes me think or thoughtful and reflect on those chicken wings that I love so much. See, this is not the first time I've worked through this part of Revelation. This is an important text in the area of faith and work integration, something which, you know, I'm very passionate about. But every time I revisit this text, I feel like this. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Perhaps this is why God's word is a light unto our path. It shows us what we cannot otherwise see on our own. And hopefully today, God will open our eyes to see something that we might have missed before, whether it's reading Revelation or this passage. So last week, Pastor Wade talked about Day of the Lord, reminding us that God cares about injustice and oppression, and that ultimately, evil doesn't go unchecked in this world. And today, we'll be looking at chapters 17 and 18 of Revelation on that, about evil not not going unchecked in this world. Revelation 17 and 18 is about Babylon. And you might be sitting there. I know you, you know, probably kept you hanging there, you know, talking about chicken wings. You know, you must be thinking or wondering what has Babylon got to do with chicken wings and coffee? Stay with me. Um, and I promise we'll get there. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Indeed, it is light unto our path. Open our eyes so that we may see. Open our hearts so that we might perceive and strengthen our hands and feet so that we might act on what we see and what we perceive. Amen. So Jesus said to his followers then, and he says to us today, he says this, Come out of her, my people meaning come out of Babylon. But what does that mean? What do you mean, Jesus, come out of Babylon? We are in Hong Kong, Jesus. What Babylon are you talking about? Are we in Babylon? And if we are, what do we do? Do we migrate? You know, for Christians in the first century, the people who first read this letter by John, there was no more Babylon. 
Ancient Babylon fell around 600 years before this letter was even written. And for us today too, what Babylon? What Babylon? So let's see what John, or how John describes Babylon. Babylon is the great prostitute whose forehead has the name Babylon the Great. And she sits on many waters. And the waters means the whole world. People, multitudes, nations, and languages collectively means the whole world. So Babylon is experienced all over the world. Babylon is not limited to a physical location. Also, Babylon is not limited to a certain time period. In scripture, we see different cities described as Babylon or the prostitute or the harlot. So for instance, we have Nineveh, Tyre, and lo and behold, even Jerusalem. Supposedly a holy city, a city set apart for God. But the prophet Isaiah says in 121, how tragic that the once faithful city has become a prostitute. She was once a center of justice. Fairness resided in her, but now only murderers. It was also in Jerusalem where the chief priests, those that were shepherding or supposed to be shepherding God's people, they said this. I don't know if you remember. We have no kings but Caesar. Do you remember that? And of course, we have Rome. Now, how do we know? John tells his readers in Revelation 17, 9, that the prostitute sits on seven mountains. Now, at that time, Rome was built on seven mountains or hills. And John also says that the prostitute is the great city that has sovereignty over the kings of the earth. And at that time, that would be Rome, the Roman Empire. And you know what else we are being told about Babylon? This one here. There I saw a woman sitting on the scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Does this sound familiar to any of you? So we, we talked about this a couple of weeks on the topic of the holy, the unholy trinity where the dragon gave the beast from the sea power and authority to rule. Meaning, it's the dragon, Satan, working through or behind the government's political powers, social and economic policies of the empire to achieve his purpose. Very twisted purpose. So, Rome sitting on the beast. The dragon gives power to the beast. What, what does that result in? John tells us in the passage that um, Elaine read for us just now. A passage announcing God's judgment on Rome. So here. For all the nations have fallen from the wine of her immoral passion, and the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have gotten rich from the power of her sensual behavior. Rome seduced the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth into immorality with her. But what exactly is immorality? We know that this is symbolic language. So it's referring to how Rome got the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth to be part of an economic system, a trade system that was very much opposed to God's heart, one filled with 
idolatry and injustice. Now in chapter 18, John gives us some details about this economic system. And I'm going to zoom right in to this to a particular section because we don't have time to go through everything in 17 and 18, but this section is very revealing. Then the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her because no one buys their cargo any longer. Cargo such as gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all sorts of things made of citron, citron wood, all sorts of objects made of ivory, all sorts of things made of expensive wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, perfume, ointment, frankincense, wine, olive oil, and costly flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and four-wheeled carriages, slaves, and human lives. Now, here's my guess. You can tell me I'm wrong later. Uh, but I'm guessing that, you know, if you come across this passage, you'll probably just, you know, quickly go through it or just skip it, thinking that, you know, this is not as important as the rest of the passage. But actually, this is the critical part. John is telling us how the merchants of the earth will react when Rome finally falls, which will be at least 200 years later. He tells us that the merchants of the earth who are complicit to the entire system will weep because no one will buy their stuff anymore. And then he goes on to list those, those goods, this, the listing here. And this listing here tells us some very important things. I'm going to switch to another uh, format or presentation of the same listing here. If you can't see, it's fine. You know, um, I'll draw some examples from there. So this list of goods, except for the olive oil, came from every corner of the empire, from the lands that it had conquered. And most of these were obtained off the backs of the poor and the slaves, made possible by the cooperation of the kings of the earth. Pearls, highest quality from India, scarlet cloth from Asia, marble from Africa, Egypt and Greece, all for Rome's enjoyment. And the other thing that we want to take notice is how, okay, let's go back to this list. See the bottom there, the red words? How slaves and human lives are considered cargoes. And the cargoes here are listed in descending order in terms of value. The most precious cargo being gold, top, followed by silver, then all the way down. And the least precious cargo being slave and human lives. Human lives considered cargo and the least of the cargoes. This was how the empire operated. Luxury and wealth and progress made possible by cheap or forced labor. People who traded in them or who were complicit in some ways got wealthy. Now this is the intoxicating wine of the prostitute. Sensual, tempting, inviting. Everybody gained except for the poor and the slaves. Those who had no power. And when they cried out from all the pain and suffering from being exploited, who would listen to them? Who would hear them? They had no power. And those with power had too much to lose if they truly listened. Who would listen? Who would hear their cries? But God. But God. Like what David said just now. But God. God says, 
Do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry, says God in Exodus 22. You see, you know, you look through scripture, you, you don't find a lot of instances where God will, will go, wow, that's a, you know, a great marble structure you have built in the city. Thumbs up. Or, wow, state-of-the-art technology, excellent. You don't find a lot of those instances, but what you find a lot of, again and again and again, is God saying, I hear the cries of the oppressed. He keeps talking through his prophets and, and, you know, and says things like, let, uh, let justice roll like a river, prophet Amos. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk with your God, walk humbly with your God, prophet Micah. Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion, says prophet Zechariah. And prophet Isaiah, he, he has a lot to say. For I, the Lord, love justice. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And how tragic that the once faithful city has become a prostitute. She was once a center of justice. Our God is a God of justice. And injustice is a key sign of Babylonness. Babyloness is anti-God. Come out of her, my people, says the Lord to us. But first, we must be able to recognize what Babylon looks like. Injustice, where there is oppression and exploitation, so much of what glitters and shines are built on unjust economic structures. And what else? What are the indications here? Idolatry, the worship of products. I must have those pearls. And it would be better if I could have them real cheap. Deception and counterfeit, making us not see what's really going on. And violence, putting one's trust and security in might and power, using force to overcome problems. Arrogance, playing God, playing God with human lives, thinking that one will never fall. The prostitute says in Revelation 18.7, I rule as queen and am no widow. I will never experience grief. See, Babyloness can be experienced on several levels. The, the empire level, like what we have just seen, or the national level, or the city level, or on an organizational level. Come out of her, my people, says our Lord. But how, Jesus, how? Babyloness is everywhere. It is so difficult to be faithful. There are so many ways to compromise and to be complicit. In fact, Babyloness is the air we breathe. You know, Jesus is aware of that. And hence, this letter of we call Revelation to the churches. When we, call, when we say the letters to the seven churches, it is actually to the universal church, to all the Christians, then and now. See, John's overriding concern is to warn the churches about compromise with the system, with everything that Rome stands for. See, easy to lose that first love if there are so many things that demand our loyalty. Tempting to want to trust in economic security instead of God. If you can't beat them, join them. If not, you get persecuted. You see, Rome persecutes people. Rome persecutes Christians. We are told that the prostitute was drunk 
with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who testified to Jesus. The Christians, you guys, Brenda. You know, this blood of the saints does not only mean death. It includes all forms of persecution. Those who do not submit to the idolatrous requirements of economic well-being will be persecuted by the economic system itself, by Babylon the Great. You can be ostracized from trading. You can find it very difficult to make a good living or progress like the ability to progress like other people. Being, to faithful, being faithful to Jesus is challenging and can come with cost. Isn't that the pressure we face today? At work, in life in general, if you don't play the game, or if you, don't try to, if, or if you try to do the right thing, you might not get ahead. And then there's this thing called the lifestyle creep. You know, we are all tempted to constantly upgrade our lifestyle. I mean, who doesn't want nice things, right? I love nice things. And I love my chicken wings, cheap. But we learned today that cheap to me can be costly, very costly to the well-being of others. I have to confess that I have not done too much research on chicken wings, but I have read a lot about some of the goods that we enjoy and the type of labor that goes into producing them. So much of what has been made affordable, you know, you can go to the store, I like this, oh, let's buy one in every color. You know, so much so of this comes off the back of child labor, the back of the poor who could be easily exploited. So like fashion, clothing, sports shoes, coffee, and many others. What we pay does not necessarily reflect the true cost of the products because it doesn't take into account true labor costs, forced labor, remember? And it, and it also doesn't take into other costs like environmental costs. But God, God hears the cries of exhausted and underfed children crying out. Fingers torn and tattered from too much sewing. The cries of the parents of these children crying out. God hears. Even the environment, his creation is crying out. And God hears the cries rising up to him in Hong Kong too. I know it's very dark, but perhaps that's not a bad thing because this is a cage home and maybe it is truly not well lit in a place like this. The world is a very complex place and there are no easy or cheap answers. But what we are called to do is that we are called to see, to reflect and to discern which city are we oriented towards. Is it Babylon? Or is it the new Jerusalem? Come out of her, my people. Come out. For me, other than reflecting on my own consumption habits, I've also been wrestling with this idea of true justice. See, I believe that charity falls short of true justice. Charity is one way that we compensate for the lack of justice. Where there is true justice, there is no more need for charity. But the problem is, true justice involves a systemic change of things, and that might be very costly to me. See, if you ask me to donate $30 every month 
to help feed exploited coffee growers. I might be very willing to do that. But if you tell me that you want to start paying coffee growers a fair wage permanently, and which means that I have to pay 10 times more for my coffee every day, then I confess that I might have to think twice whether I actually really want that when it would cost me so much more. And that awareness, just that reflection, that it tells me something. It tells me that I really need Jesus. There's really no other way, no better way to say it, but that I really need Jesus. Confronted by all the messiness in this world, confronted um, by, or rather, being aware of how little I, I can do, you know, what difference does it make? And yet knowing that every, every um, step I take could make a tiny difference, but just tiny, okay? Because if it's too much, then I don't want it because it's too costly to me. So knowing all this, I just really come to a place where I go, Jesus, I really need you. I need you. The world needs you. He is already the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings who is already seated on the throne and the future of the world is already secure. See, although he invites me to join him by being a living testimony of what he represents, it's not dependent on me. God in Christ Jesus has already accomplished everything. New Jerusalem is coming for sure. The one on the throne is the slain lamb slain on the cross so that the powers of evil are defeated. And one day, that would come into full effect. And that's why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It is indeed finished. And so when I feel like, when I'm made aware of all this, other than going, don't tell me, don't tell me, la, 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 maybe I can think of it differently. Maybe I can thank God for making me see. But also, um, I must not listen to the life of the devil, which is discouraging and condemning. I must, I must look at this with hope. I must know that whatever I try to do, whatever little, how little, however little, is secure already in the victory of Christ, in the certainty of that hope of the new Jerusalem. Perhaps that's how I can go forward. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you so much for your great love. Thank you that you came to us in flesh. Thank you that you went to the cross and so glad that you rose from the dead. We thank you for breaking through to us with the truth. Please open our eyes. Do not let us be blinded by the intoxicating wine of Babylon, of the prostitute. Show us where we might be complicit with Babyloness, but help us to look to you to come out of Babylon, for we cannot, cannot ever do it on our own. Nor do we, I can't even hope to be able to do it. So we pray, God, help us. 
Help us to come out of Babylon knowing that it is not by our own strength, but you, Lord, because our coming out of Babylon is already founded on that victory that you have won for us on the cross. And as we come to this, share this table together, Lord, we're so thankful because we are reminded once again what you did on the cross and that we have a community to work together, that we come out of Babylon not by ourselves, it's not an individual thing, but it's together as a community, Lord. So we thank you for your great love. We thank you for your great mercy. And we thank you. Thank you for, just for your great love that's been poured out on the cross. Amen.